going to uh, continue in the book of Isaiah, chapter 11, and uh, I'll open us up in, some, in prayer, and then David's got a video that he's going to show, which is the reading of the first half of, the, of Isaiah chapter 11. And so if you're here with us live, you'll be able to, to see it, but it's, you'll also be able to hear it if you're watching online, and we're glad for those of you that are, uh, that are tuned in online this morning as well. So let's pray, and then we'll, uh, we'll listen to Isaiah chapter 11. Father, we thank you that we can come today, that we can uh, get a, a break from this busy season that we're in to be able to reflect upon you and your greatness, upon your amazing plan, uh, your love and your grace in sending a Messiah, an anointed one, a savior for us. We thank you for this time uh, with our family, with our brothers and sisters both those who can be here and those who are distant. Um, we just ask for your blessing upon this time. And whether we're here and present or whether somebody is watching this um, online, we pray that we would experience your spirit working in us and through us, that we would appreciate the gift uh, that you gave on Christmas and that we would be blessed in understanding more about how much you love us. We thank you for this time and look forward to the way that you'll be working uh, in us and through us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Like Mike said, we will be looking at Isaiah chapter 11 today. And instead of just hearing one of us read through it, because you hear us enough, we found this really cool video, the much more epic sounding reader, and some fun visuals. So this will be just the first 10 verses of chapter 11. Yeah, but he doesn't do it in color-coded edition. It's not color-coded, color but there's, you know, animations and visuals. Okay. So right. I, I think this, <laughs> it makes up for it. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. And with the breath of his lips, he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb. And the leopard shall lie down with the young goat. And the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together. And a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze. Their young shall lie down together. And the lion shall be strong like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra. And the wind child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord, as the waters come to see. I 
so there's obviously, as usual, that prophecy is packed full of all kinds of stuff. Uh, but it starts right off with a really interesting image. Right in verse 1, it says, A shoot will grow from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from its roots will bear fruit. And then the, the verses that kind of come after that build on that idea. Uh, and it's a metaphor, this, this stump and the branch and all this, it's a metaphor for a person. And the rest of the chapter goes on to describe what this person will do and what kind of impact this person will have on the, wor- uh, on the world. So we're going to spend some time just looking at this metaphor itself because everything else mm-hmm. kind of stems from it. Um, stem? Did you say stem? Yeah, there might be a few puns. There's going to be a lot of puns in this, <laughs> so just so that you know. So we're going to look at the significance of the metaphor itself. Um, it's, it's unique because only the Messiah is described in sure. exactly this way. But it's also not unique in the fact, in the sense that trees and plants are very commonly used as metaphors for people in a variety of different ways throughout Scripture. It's a very core thematic element, as we'll see you know, from mm-hmm. beginning to end of, of Scripture. So we're going to talk about that just a little bit. Um, and then we're going to look at what some of the implications are of this person's arrival. Um, some of the major effects that Isaiah is prophesying the Messiah will have on the world. So I think we need to start with asking some questions, though. I yeah. think that's where we have to start. So first of all, what is this stump of Jesse? And I think before we answer that, we have to kind of answer another question, right? Yeah. Who is Jesse? Who is Jesse? Anybody want to give a shot? Who's Jesse? He's a guy. We know that. Yeah, he's, a, he's the guy. But what guy? It is, what? It is a man's name in this case. That, that can be... What's that? Father of David. Yeah, yes. but, but, there's, but there's more than that. Oh, yeah, he's the father of David, but what's his real claim to fame? He's the grandson of Ruth. Yeah, yeah. You're like, who? All right, never mind. We get, so we nerded out on that a little bit. So you have Ruth, the Moabite from the book of Ruth, who married Boaz. And David, or Jesse, is the grandson of Ruth and Boaz. I think you like that because you're a grandfather. I am a grandfather, so it's kind of cool. It's like, it's the grandson, right? So, um, yeah, so this is, this is Ruth's grandson, um, is Jesse, but also Jesse is David's dad, yeah. They're both, they're both in there. It just depends how you want to get yeah. his identity, yeah. And, and King David was kind of a big deal. Well, he was kind of a big deal, yeah. <laughs> and we have, yeah. you know, and we're going to be talking about the Davidic covenant and all that, but when we see that name Jesse here in this context, it's really um, meant to invoke it's like he, that, that name is being used as a patriarch of the Davidic line, the, the Davidic dynasty, um, and therefore the Davidic covenant, and all of that goes into that. So the promise that was made to David, and thereby for the whole nation of Israel, um, which in David's time wasn't yet divided, so it was a united kingdom, um, and there's this promise made to David. But the fact that, that Isaiah singles out David's lineage specifically also keys into the fact that He's also said that the Messiah, the Messiah is going to be coming through the line of David from the tribe of Judah. Um, so we're going to talk a little bit more about the importance of that. But just for now, it should be on your radar that right away we're talking about King David and his lineage. Um, that's what that name Jesse is immediately bringing to mind. I don't, I don't think there's too many places in the scriptures, if any others, where it really connects the, the lineage to Jesse I mean, most mm-hmm. of it is, yeah. is connecting it to David mm-hmm. and because David is the guy, right? So it's kind of unique in this passage where he's connecting it to David. But they're just like so many other things that we've studied. They, they are synonymous. You're, you're taking mm-hmm. 
in, in, in some senses, they're synonymous. You're taking you know, like we the can lineage. talk about Abraham and his descendants, or Isaac and or Jacob slash Israel and his descendant. You can use the patriarchs as kind of a stand-in representative for yep. the whole people. Yeah. So that's who Jesse is. We know who he is. But what's about what's this this thing about a stump? So any of you have any experience with trees? Some more than others. I know Doug's chopped down some trees. Yeah, yeah. The stump <laughs> is that awful part that you just can't get up afterwards when you're done taking out the wood, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, the stump is what's left when the majority of that tree has been cut down or cut off. And it's, it's the bottom part that, we, that still you see above the ground. Um, and the top part's been taken off, but the roots still exist uh, below it. And then you have that little bit that sticks up uh, above the ground. And when a tree's been completely uprooted, um, then taken, taken out, all you have left is the stump. It's not the same as uprooting a tree completely. If you uproot a tree, you're taking the roots and everything. A stump is when you still have the roots in the ground. Um, so this image of, of a stump is being associated with Jesse, with the line of David. Um, and it's implying that Jesse's descendants, that Jesse's family and in this way, you could even extend it, like you said, with the patriarchs to the nation Israel, right, had grown into something great. But whatever that greatness was, is gone. It's been cut off. I mean, if you've ever seen a stump that's big, like there was something great there before you cut it down. And the stump is the reminder of what was there and how great it was. Um, and in fact, uh, David and Solomon had built a great and powerful kingdom, a tall, mighty tree, but that tree was cut down, leaving only a stump and a shadow of what once was. So that's kind of a depressing thought, right? That's, that's part of that doom and gloom from Isaiah, but that's not really what this passage is focusing on, right? This is a little bit of a shift here. Yeah, because it has the stump, uh, but then... You know, what it's really focusing on, the main point is not to dwell on how depressing it is that there's just a stump left, because it's providing this hope of this new life, mm -hmm. uh, this new growth that says out of the stump, a shoot will grow. And the shoot of a plant is, you know, the stem and the little appendages that start growing that eventually will become the branches and the leaves. Uh, so we should be kind of picturing this like this little seedling of unexpected life coming up from a stump that you thought was maybe dead by looking at it, and now there's this new life, this new growth. Um, and, you know, a, a shoot is a very small little seedling, but then in the second half of verse 1, you know, it, it, it says that that seedling will grow to full maturity because having branches and then having fruit is the sign of a fully mature tree. Right. So this, you know, verse 1 here is setting up the whole rest of this chapter with this very interesting and very clear image. We have the stump of the tree that's been cut down. That represents Israel um, and how Israel's kind of fallen, been cut down, but then of this new growth. And it's that promise of hope um, for God to restore life uh, to Israel through the line of David. Yeah. Now, when we were studying this, um, I, I've got to be honest, David and I spent as much time rabbit trailing and just yeah. nerding out on stuff as we did preparing for the message. And so we're, we're studying this and I'm like, okay, I'm focusing on David. I'm focusing on the line of David and the Davidic covenant. And, and this David over here is like trees. <laughs> we need to talk about trees and plants because you don't get this if you don't understand trees and plants. And so this next section is dedicated to my brother, David. 
because <laughs> he wants to help us understand more about this metaphor of trees and plants, which is really awesome throughout the scriptures. And it's so important in understanding what's going on here. So yeah. I'll let you take the lead on this one and then okay. I'll, I'll chime in every now and then. All right. So, yeah. And, and just bear with me because I do think it's important. <laughs> um, and also realize that this is extremely condensed. Like this could be a whole year of study, probably. He's got, uh, he's got five minutes to cover yeah, this whole so metaphor. I'm going to yeah. try to cover it pretty briefly. Again, this, this specific metaphor, the shoot coming from the, the stump and the, the roots becoming branches, that specific language is unique to this passage. Um, but people are compared to trees and plants all over the place in, in different ways. And, and it was a very common metaphor in ancient Jewish culture of thinking about people as plants. Um, and in fact, I, I realize you can really find that metaphor of, of people as plants in every genre of literature. You know, you, we kind of expect to find metaphor in poetry. Um, you find it in the poetry, you find it in the prophets. We also find it in the narratives um, and even in speeches that people make and letters uh, in the New Testament. Uh, and, you know, in our, in our culture, we might not use that metaphor quite as often, or at least not in the same ways as they would have thought of it. But at the same time, that metaphor isn't totally foreign to us, if That's you right. think about it. We have a lot of terms and phrases that we use that really we're referring to people as plants, even if we don't realize it or we're not necessarily doing that mm -hmm. intentionally because that metaphor is pretty well ingrained into us as well. So, for example, if I say that someone, a person, is blossoming, what do I mean by that? They're, they're like suddenly growing these petals, these colorful petals out of their neck and they're, you know, no, that's not what a person blossoming means. Uh, it means that they're developing, you know, some, some good or attractive qualities or they're maturing in some way, becoming successful. A person is blossoming, kind of coming into themselves. Mm -hmm. uh, another one is, you know, if we say that someone is putting down roots, you know, so-and-so is putting down roots here in the North Country. Um, so that doesn't mean that their toes are suddenly growing root systems out of them. They're, you know, tunneling into the ground. Uh, it means that they really love the North Country. They've decided to settle here, make connections with their community uh, and with their family. And, and they have basically long-term expectations of staying in the area. It happens all the time here in the North it Country. It does. It does. I think the first one that came to my mind was um, the metaphor that we use to talk about our genealogies, Right. So what do we call a diagram of our relatives? Your family tree, right? And some of you have fruit trees and some of you have nut trees and some <laughs> of you have, you know, but, but a family tree. And, and trust us, we spent way too much time charting out, um, talking about flow charts and family trees and trying to figure out how that works. And, and I promise you a flow chart, a family tree does not fit a real tree diagram very well. We spent way too many hours <laughs> discussing that and trying to figure out how to make it go. We have a huge rabbit hole we went down, but we don't hesitate to talk about our ancestry as our family tree. And, uh, and we even learned how to make them in school. You know, we do little family trees in school and such. So I think that we're used to these ideas. We, yeah. we talk about them all the time. Definitely. Um, and so, yeah, thinking about that maybe helps us kind of get into that mindset a little bit more, even if they use slightly different metaphors, it's still people as plants. Kind of makes sense. Um, when I say it just like that, people are plants, it doesn't make sense. But when you think about it, the way the metaphor is used, okay, it really does make sense. And that's the way this chapter starts off, uh, talking about this tree, then the stump, the roots, and this new growth all coming out of it to become this big, full, fruit-bearing tree again. And all of that, that whole image is being used 
to describe people. So the people of Israel and the line of David, and then ultimately the Messiah, right. the one who will be the one restoring uh, life to the people. Uh, and, and trees and plants are both, both literal trees, not just symbolic ones, but both you know, in a literal sense and a symbolic sense. Right. They're significant throughout the whole Bible. And there are a ton of references, not just metaphorical ones. Just trees are all over the place in the Bible. Can we quiz them? Sure. Okay. What are some of the famous trees you can think of from the Bible? The fig tree in the New Testament, right? The, the sycamore tree. Okay. Yeah. That was the one that Zacchaeus was, had climbed up in. The fig tree is the one that Jesus cursed. What other trees? What's that? Olive tree. Yes. Olive yeah, show There's up. a few olive, olive trees. And, yeah. And Mount of Olives of, of olive trees. Yeah. The, the mustard seed parable. That's right. Where the, tree, the seed grows until all the animals... Um, take take nest in it. Cedar tree, the cedars of Lebanon. Yes, yes. As a matter of fact, you can describe the person that you love that way. You can equate certain parts of their body to the cedars of Lebanon. I'm sure it'll win them over. So yeah, what what are some other trees? Tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Ooh, yeah, that, that famous, infamous tree. Yes. Any others? I guess you're doing great. I noticed a lot of those are from the New Testament, um, and you know there there are a lot in both the Old and New Testament. Um, and That's a we, good job, by the way. Dig yeah, those, those a lot um, of those are on my list as well. Um, and it's yeah, we, we see these trees all throughout the Bible, and it's, it would take way too long to actually you know look at every single one of them. But I came up with kind of a quick list of some of the, the major mm-hmm. ones that that came to my mind um, that you you probably are familiar with. So, you know, obviously the, the tree of the knowledge of good and bad um, in the Garden of Eden, obviously trees played a major role in that very first uh, mm-hmm. chapter of, of humanity's history in the Garden of Eden. You had that one tree of, of the knowledge of good and bad that they weren't supposed to eat of, but there's also this other really important tree, the tree of life. And that tree was not forbidden. It was a tree that they could have eaten from and, and it would have sustained mm-hmm. human life forever, but they chose to eat from the one that was was forbidden, uh, and because of that, they were banished from the garden, and then they no longer had access to the tree of life after that. And that, that tree of life is actually kind of a bookend yeah. in our Bibles, because we see it at the very beginning, and we see it at the very end in Revelation, and that'll come up a little bit uh, later. Uh, and then <laughs> I have a little Hebrew. It, it wouldn't be, you know, a, a week with me preaching if there wasn't a little bit of Hebrew nerd moment. Um, so the word for tree in Hebrew is the same as the word for wood. So in English, we have two different words. In Hebrew, they're, they're the same word. Um, and it makes sense because, you know, wood comes from trees, but we don't really use those two words interchangeably. They're different. So we don't see the word tree or we don't think of trees necessarily when we see the word wood. The concept is there, but we don't automatically mm-hmm. go there. Uh, but in Hebrew, that association of, of trees with wood is a little more obvious because literally if something's made of wood, it's made of tree. You know, it, it kind of it makes sense. It's just mm-hmm. not how we use those words. But that's interesting when you consider how often wood is used in narratives throughout the Bible, whether it's wood used in sacrifices or, you know, consider the fact that Noah was saved from the flood by living in, in a boat of tree, you know, a boat of wood. Um, <laughs> it just suddenly opens up all of these other references where a Hebrew reader would be thinking of trees and wood 
uh, where we don't necessarily make that association. Well, even the, the temple when it was built, mm. so much of the temple was built with wood and that wood was covered over with... And had with, images of trees yes. and fruit and... Yeah. Crazy stuff. It's, it's, and that's all, you know, connecting to the garden. Um, uh, you have another one is Moses and the burning bush. That was just a hugely pivotal moment um, where Moses met God and learned the name of the God of, of his ancestors and learns that his name is Yahweh at this burning bush, mm-hmm. uh, which, yeah, bush is in Hebrew a different word, uh, but it's like in English, he, uh, bush and, and tree, the kind of the, the associated concept. Um, another one, you know, because we just studied Jonah recently, um, I had to bring up the plant that we find in Jonah, Jonah's plant towards the end of the book. Uh, it's a sig- very significant plant and God uses it to teach a lesson uh, to Jonah much to his dismay and frustration, uh, but also as a sign for Israel. You know, the, the plant kind of represents Israel, as you saw in that study. I think the one of the more famous ones for me as we were talking about this and putting together was King Nebuchadnezzar. Remember him? He had a dream, and, and uh, in, in this dream, there was this tree that was cut down into the stump, and then there was a, a, a bracket put over the top of the stump to keep it alive, to keep it from dying. And, and it was a prophecy about his kingdom. And so the tree actually represented his kingdom and what he had built, the people and everything that he had built. And then it was, he got cut down until he was humbled. And then God grew him back up and the tree uh, blossomed again. And I think that one's got a lot of, uh, a lot of connection to our stump of Jesse oh, yeah. because it's back to that stump. Only I think it's, it shows the flawed side of humanity and how we can't be that branch that perfect branch because of our own ego and pride and stuff. And that's what Nebuchadnezzar went wrong. And, and so many things like that's a whole separate message, but it's like that one really clicks in my mind because actually there's, there's a stump. Yeah. yeah absolutely. And so we kind of get that idea. So this image of even a stump and it being cut off and growing back goes back to um, it, it's going to be the similar story to what Daniel is referring to um, in, in his, in his teaching. And so you have these, you have a couple different stumps going on. Yeah, the way Nebuchadnezzar's, his kingship and his kingdom built, was built up and he, but his pride is what ultimately caused him to be cut down. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Israel could read that story and be like, yeah, the prideful king of, of Babylon was cut down. But then Isaiah is referring to Israel, the kingdom of Israel yeah, so in the same exact way. Um, so that's a bunch of Old Testament references, not by, by any stretch, all of them, just a few of the major ones. Um, but then there are quite a few in the New Testament. Uh, you have Zacchaeus and the sycamore tree, uh, like someone mentioned. You actually have when Jesus healed a blind man, and I thought this was interesting. He started to be able to see for a second, and he described people. He said, I see people like trees walking. Um, and then Jesus put his hands on them again, and then he saw regularly. I just thought that was interesting. But you had people gathering under trees, their resources mm-hmm. of safety and comfort. Um, Jesus saw Nathaniel under a fig tree. There's one fig tree. Jesus cursed another fig tree, uh, which is the only living thing that Jesus harmed that we know of. But then Jesus was killed on a tree, the, the thing that harmed Jesus. Uh, and he then was also mistaken for a gardener after he resurrected, which is interesting. Um, but then Paul wrote about Christians, believers um, being grafted into Israel's tree trunk uh, and, and being rooted in Christ. So mm-hmm. Paul used a lot that imagery quite, a, quite yeah. a bit. And then as we'll see in a bit, we do, of course, see tree and garden imagery uh, quite a bit in Revelation as well. 
And some of these references, um, if you were to make a, a complete list of all the references to trees and gardens in the Bible, some of them would be more obvious or clear um, as to, you know, if there's double meaning or not uh, than others. But the point is that there are a lot of them. And a lot of them do carry, you know, double meaning or, or hyperlinks to other places where you have trees and, and gardens uh, and plants. They, they can be used in a variety of ways, represent different things. But in general, and certainly as we're looking at Isaiah, in the context of this passage, these images are really meant to make you think of a few certain things. Uh, so first of all, from the kind of the literal aspect, you have the maturity and the growth and abundance you have safety because it protects you from you know, the sun. Um, especially, though, you have a hyperlink to Eden and a return to Eden and the tree of life because we're talking about the Messiah, the anointed one. He is supposed to bring um, Israel and then all of humanity back to the Garden of Eden. Yeah, and the promise of Isaiah 11, 1, is that promise of the Messiah um, who's going to take them back there. So Isaiah is saying that although there's, there's one tree in the garden that got humankind in trouble um, and the tree of Israel's kingdom will be cut down, another tree will come and, and by being killed on a tree will restore the tree so there can be a tree and eat from the right tree again. So it's, it's like tree, 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 and it all just kind of falls in line there. Um, it's kind of, kind of hard to follow at times uh, with all of it. But since this theme is so prevalent in the Bible, uh, most of the rest of our time is going to be spent just reading passages together about stumps and trees and branches and David and the Messiah, because we want you to see how, how this theme in this story is interwoven from Genesis to Revelation and how it points to the Messiah and Jesus, which we celebrate at Christmas time, and how this all fits into our Christmas theme because of the good news of Jesus coming. This is, from a, this is a Genesis to Revelation theme that we want you to see in the scriptures. So we're going to start with a Hebrew mindset. Um, the message of Isaiah in this passage is one of hope because the anointed one, the Messiah, will come on that day. Um, the promise of the Messiah has been ingrained into the hearts of mankind since Genesis chapter 3, since the third page of the Bible, if you will. Um, Genesis chapter 3 Adam and Eve sinned in the garden. God confronts them in their sin, and God punishes each of them. When he punishes the serpent in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, he says this, I will put hostility between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head, and you will strike his heel. Now, if you have the New American Standard or the New King James or the Revised Standard, you don't see the word offspring, you see the word seed. And if you have a study Bible, you might even have a little note that says literally in the Hebrew, this means seed. The word that's used there is the Hebrew word seed, your seed and his seed. Um, if you have the ESV, it says uh, that it's the Hebrew word seed, and it's so throughout the entire book of Genesis. In other words, everywhere else in the book of Genesis where you see this word, it's seed. It's Genesis chapter 1, where God created all the seed-bearing plants, um, and they reproduced after their own kind. It's the same word for seed. In other words, it's not this word seed isn't only used for offspring or descendants. It's also literally used for plant seed. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. Um, so from the very beginning of Genesis, this is plant theme and even the concept of the Messiah being a seed has been implanted into the story 
of humans from the very beginning. So the Jews were looking for a Messiah because of Genesis, but also because of the Abrahamic covenant. The Abrahamic covenant um, said that through Abraham, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. That obviously hasn't happened yet. Um, also the Davidic covenant, that there'd be somebody who would sit on the throne of David forever. And that obviously hasn't happened yet. So they believe this to be the same person, this one, this anointed one, this one selected by God for this calling. So in the Hebrew mindset, the Jews are looking for God's promise to Abraham to be fulfilled, God's promise to David to be fulfilled, for the seed of the woman from Genesis chapter 3, all has to take place. And so they're watching and they're watching. So um, if you have your Bibles, we're going to be flipping through some passages here. You might want to get ready with your pen and take some notes. We start in Genesis chapter 3, 15. We're going to end up in Revelation, and we're going to read some passages all the way through the Old Testament and through the New Testament. We didn't come up with a verse for every book of the Bible. We thought that might be a little too much. But 1 Chronicles chapter 17, verse 23. 1 Chronicles 17, 23. This is, this is the promise to David that I want us to, to understand. Because this is the one that's going to carry through with this whole theme of stump and tree and stump of Jesse. And 1 Chronicles 17, 23. Now the Lord... Now, Lord, let the word that you have spoken concerning your servant and his house be confirmed forever and do as you have promised. Let your name be confirmed and magnified forever in the saying, the Lord of armies, the God of Israel is God over Israel. May the house of your servant David be established before you since you, my God, have revealed to your servant that you will build him a house. Your servant has found courage to pray in your presence Lord, you indeed are God, and you have promised this good thing to your servants. So now you have been pleased to bless your servant's house, that it may continue before you forever. For you, O Lord, have blessed it, and it is blessed forever. So this is David's prayer in response to God saying that he would establish David's throne forever. And in 1 Chronicles 28, verse 4, it says, Yet... The Lord God of Israel chose me out of all my father's family, this is David speaking, to be king over Israel forever. For he chose Judah as leader, and from the house of Judah, my father's family, and from my father's sons, he was pleased to make me king over Israel. So David is, is acknowledging the fact that he has been appointed as king over Israel forever. But obviously David knew that he was mortal, right? I mean, David knows that his days on earth are numbered. So what was he thinking in saying that he would be king forever? Um, he speaks as if he would be around forever. And the Hebrew mindset was that God would establish David's rule through a descendant of David. They were looking for that in Solomon to begin with, and Solomon fell short. Um, and for this reason, though, very accurate records of David's ancestry have been kept even up to this day. I mean, his ancestry is, is marked because the Messiah will come from the line of David. Um, so even to this day, they're doing that. So, so the, in the Old Testament, especially with David, from the time of the kings, they've been looking for a king who's going to rule in David's name from David's line that's going to bring about God's rule on this earth. 
just want to quickly plant a seed in your brain. Going back to Genesis, when God made man and woman, he created them to subdue the earth and rule it, right? So we were called to rule in the first place. Now there's going to be a king that's going to be set up to rule um, that God's going to place here. So that's some of the Old Testament mindset, just starting with there. But of course, the prophets seem to have a lot to say about the Messiah, and they're going to connect all this together. Um, so in chapter 11 of Isaiah that we've already read, you have a tree, and the tree represents what? Or whom? Who does the tree represent? Anybody? The nation Israel? The stump represents Jesse, right? And the roots and the branch represent the Messiah. So that was Isaiah chapter 11 that we read this um, in the very beginning. Now let's look at some other ways that the prophets talk about this tree imagery. Um, Isaiah chapter 4 and verse 2. Isaiah 4, I assume you want me to read that. You may, please. Isaiah 4, 2 says, In that day, the branch of the Lord shall be beautiful and glorious, and the fruit of the land shall be the pride and honor of the survivors of Israel. Very clear plant imagery. Uh, another another prophet, Jeremiah, also, Isaiah wasn't alone in using this, this imagery as a prophet. Uh, Jeremiah had a couple couple places where he used very similar language. Um, so Jeremiah 23, verse 5 says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. This, in this case, he's focusing on the justice and, and he's going to bring the, the justice and righteousness, but he's still referred to as a branch. So that was Jeremiah 23, 5. And a branch of David besides, yeah. A branch of David, yeah. So you have yeah. both, both uh, links there. Jeremiah chapter 33, so 10 chapters later, um, starting in verse 14, Jeremiah says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the promise I made to the house of Israel and to the house of Judah. In this case, referring to both kingdoms. In those days... And at that time, I will cause a righteous branch to spring up for David, and he shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. So very similar to what he said in chapter 23, but you actually have the branch springing up, which is a very similar image to Isaiah saying, a shoot will come up from the stump. Uh, and Isaiah really, I think, wants to, to plant in us this, this uh, concept of you know seeds and, and branches and trees um, all being tied to the garden imagery. Yeah, so um, several weeks ago, I got to share from Isaiah chapter 6, right? So let's skip over to Isaiah chapter 6 now. Um, Isaiah 6, verse 11. Then I said, Lord, how long? This is when Isaiah is being called by God to give a horrible message to the, the Jews. And he says, how long? And God said, he answered, until cities are devastated and without inhabitant, houses are without people, and the land is utterly desolate. The Lord has removed men far away, and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. Yet there will be a tenth portion of it, and it will again be subject to burning. Like a terebinth or an oak, whose stump remains when it's felled, and the holy seed is its stump. When we covered that 
chapter we talked about this is pointing ahead again to this Messiah. In Isaiah chapter 9 that we also studied with the throne room um, imagery, Isaiah 9, 7, the, the dominion will be vast and its prosperity will never end and he will reign on the throne of David as and over his kingdom to establish and sustain it with justice and righteousness from now on and forever. The zeal of the Lord of armies will accomplish this. So that his dominion, and this is speaking again of the Messiah, will be vast and he will reign on the throne of David and over this kingdom. So twice now Isaiah has talked about this throne and this kingdom. Three times we've referenced uh, David and or a plant. And then we get to Isaiah 11 that we read this morning. And Isaiah 11 verse 1 says, Then a shoot will grow from the stump of Jesse and a branch from his roots will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, a spirit of wisdom and understanding, a spirit of counsel and strength, a spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. It's like a whole sermon right there in verse two. His delight will be in the fear of the Lord, and he will not judge by what he sees with his eyes. He will not execute justice by what he hears with his ears, but he will judge the poor righteously and execute justice for the oppressed of the land. Now he, there, you know, chapter, uh, verse three and four, that's total hyperlink to the book of Judges. Um, if you remember when we studied Judges and how it starts off, that's what people were doing was what the Messiah won't do. Great. Good call. Good call. Sorry to that's okay. I just told, okay. He will strike the land with a scepter from his mouth, and he will kill the wicked with a command from his lips. Righteousness will be a belt around his hips. Faithfulness will be a belt around his waist. And the wolf will dwell with the lamb, and the leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf, the young lion, and the fattened calf will all be together, and a child will lead them. The cow and the bear will graze, and their young ones will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like cattle. An infant will play beside the cobra's pit, and a toddler will put his hand into a snake's den. They will not harm or destroy each other on my entire holy mountain, for the land will be as full of the knowledge of the Lord as the sea is filled with water. And on that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples. The nations will look to him for guidance. And his resting place will be glorious. Um, so this, this whole passage in Isaiah 11 is hyperlinking all over the place. So the judges, if you keep going on, it, it hyperlinks to the Exodus. It's taking us back to the garden where you have animals coexisting and not, uh, not being afraid of each other, not attacking each other. You have plant imagery here. You have water coming back up again. Um, and, and I just another side note, a hyperlink to the New Testament. It says the spirit of the Lord will rest upon him. Great hyperlink to take you to the baptism of Jesus in the New Testament. Um, so just kind of keep that one in mind because we're going to be covering Matthew, Lord willing, as we get a little closer to spring. And you'll see that jump up again. Um, so by the time we get to the New Testament, uh, there has been silence from the prophets uh, for about 400 plus years. And, but there's still this hope. There's still a hope that someday there's going to be this seed that's going to come. This branch is going to show up. This branch from the root of Jesse has to appear. He hasn't appeared yet. But there's been nothing communicated. But they're still looking for the Messiah. They're still looking for the person who's going to sit on the throne of David. They're still looking for the one who's going to complete the promise made to Abraham. They're looking for the one who's going to crush the serpent and restore things back to the way God had it in the beginning. And it hasn't happened yet. And there's been nothing but silence. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't like silence. We, we are a very impatient society, right? 
You text somebody and if they don't get back to you in 30 seconds, you're mad. Why aren't they texting me back? Right? You want like instant responses from people. Imagine God being silent for 400 years. Yeah, I think too, to make it even worse, it's not like there was the silence and they're looking for hope. And it's, it's like they even had a few opportunities of, of false hope. Because it's not like there was never any sign of new life or growth. Because every now and then, a little seedling would pop up in the form of, of a king that actually followed God and, and did well. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of like David and Solomon in, in, in a big way were both, you know, kind of messianic figures but had their own failures. Solomon had a big failure. He had other kings that popped up that kind of gave them hope. But then they were cut down and burned down before they could ever grow into, you know, a fruit a fruit-bearing yeah. tree again. So that, that would make it even more frustrating to have silence from God and the prophets and then, you know, all these false starts, <laughs> non-starters. And another rabbit trail that we went down had to do with a descendant of David during the time of Ezra who helped to rebuild the temple. And he's referred to as a branch of David also. And we're like, what's this? What? There's another branch. And so we spent hours just chasing that one down too. And Decided it wasn't a part of this message. But yeah, they're looking for this branch. They're looking for this hope still. And that's why yeah. it's in there and it's mentioned in there. So you get to the New Testament and you're like, okay, now we're back to the Christmas story because the New Testament is all about the Gospels. So let's just look at Luke chapter one, right? Very famous passage in Luke. Luke chapter one, verse 30. This is the message that the angel gives to Mary. So remember, as this message is coming, The Hebrew mindset has not changed. They're still looking for the coming of the anointed one who's going to establish his rule and redeem mankind and all of creation for that matter. They're looking for someone who's going to restore things back to the way that God intended. Hasn't happened yet. That mindset is still there. So you get to Luke chapter 1 and verse 30. The angel told her, Mary, don't be afraid, Mary. For you have found favor with God. Now listen, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. This covenant with David is quoted to Mary that her son would be the one to sit on the throne. He's the Messiah. This is the claim that he's making to Mary. Now, now this is one of our more famous Christmas passages, right? And, and it should be. I mean, this is a huge deal. This is what they've been waiting for for thousands of years now at this point, just waiting for this. And now all of a sudden it's coming. It's coming. And though it's significant that a human, Mary, found favor with God, and though it's just, just like Noah or Abraham um, and others did. And though it's significant that he'll be named Jesus, the, the news of major significance that goes all the way back to Genesis is that this is the promised one. This is the Messiah, the one selected by God to rule on his behalf for the rest of eternity. This is the branch from the stump of Jesse. Look at me started on the name Jesus. It's another, yeah, I know. That's why I said those, I said it was significant, though. I put it was significant in there. Um, and, and as a matter of fact, if, if you were hesitant and wondering, does this really connect him to, you know, to David and to the stump and, 
and to everything else. Um, it really does. And Jesus even makes an argument later on in the Gospels um, and refers to the promise of the Davidic covenant and kind of helps us understand a little bit more about this picture. I would say the passage in Luke really points to Jesus as the branch because he's coming from Jesse. But when you get to Matthew chapter 22, verses 42 through 45, Jesus is, is <laughs> he's confronting the Pharisees. And he says to them in verse 42, what do you think about the Messiah? Whose son is he? There's a loaded question. And they come back with David's. And Jesus says in verse 43, and he asked them, how is it then that David, inspired by the Spirit, calls him Lord? The Lord declared to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If David calls him Lord, how then can he be his son? I think, to me, this hyperlinks to Jesus as the root before David and the one who causes life in the first place and greater than David. Because your, your descendants, Isaac was not greater than Abraham. Jacob was not greater than Isaac in, in this mindset. Your, your descendants are always going back to the, the greatest one. So he's saying if, if David was calling him Lord, how could David call him Lord if David was his father or his grandfather? If, if this was his son, David wouldn't call him Lord. That son would call David Lord. He's like, there's something bigger going on here. And I think that's, that's just hype. It's just going right back to the root concept. Because the unique thing about all this is, is Jesus is both a branch and a root. And I think we get both of those in the gospel, which is, just, I don't yeah. that's my nerd moment. That was one of those things I kind of tripped out over. So yeah, and it is kind of mind boggling because you have the, it's like time warp. It's like, yeah, the root and the branch. Um, and, and that also, though, for a person, a human, to be both the root and the branch, I think Jesus was making a point that the Messiah had to be more than just human. Because yes. no human can be an ancestor and a descendant and all these other things that the Messiah has to be. Mm -hmm. So, you know, he was saying that the seed of David is more than just a seed of man, but also a holy seed in some way, a divine seed. This goes back to our Isaiah 6 uh, mm -hmm. passages that we we're talking about. And, and we find in the book of Acts, where Paul was giving um, his first speech as a missionary, um, and it's just his first public speech that he ever gave, um, as, at least as a Christian. He, he stood up in the synagogue, and he, he gave the whole history of Israel, and how Israel's history points to the Messiah. Um, and then he says this in Acts chapter 13, verses 22 and 23. After removing Saul as king, he raised up David as their king and testified about him. I have found David, the son of Jesse, to be a man after my own heart who will carry out all my will. From this man's descendants, as he promised, God brought to Israel the Savior, Jesus. So Paul is, is talking about how God removed Saul as king and raised up David, and then saying that Jesus, as David's descendant, is Israel's Savior. And then later on in verse 36, he says, For David... After serving God's purpose in his own generation, fell asleep, was buried with his fathers, and decayed. But the one God raised up did not decay. So he's pointing out the mortality of David uh, and of every other king of Israel that ever lived. 
except for the one that God raised up, the Savior, Jesus, is, is not, he did not decay. As Paul, you know, he continued to preach and teach, uh, he made some really bold statements about this, the root of Jesse um, being the Messiah, and that he, he didn't just come for, for the Jews, because so far we've seen, you know, the, the covenants that God made and the promises and, and a lot of what the prophets talk about, it seems like it's very centered on Israel, Right. When I think we have, uh, we don't struggle with that concept as much as the Hebrew reader because would. Because we're not. Because we're, <laughs> we're not Israel, right? So when we're reading the scriptures, we're constantly thinking like, oh, this is for everybody. Oh, I see an Abraham's promise. So this is for all the nations. And I see this. Right. But, but the Jewish nation would be like, no, we are God's people. And we've been selected by God. And it's through our line of David, this is going to happen. So I think that we approach it. We probably don't struggle with it as much as they would have with that concept of it being for the nation. Because yeah, it's, we'd be... In real trouble if it weren't. <laughs> right? Well, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and so Isaiah uh, 11 in, in verse 10 brings this out, too. It says that, you know, this points out that it's a message for the nations, uh, not just the Jews. And I'll, as a side mm. note, oftentimes you'll see the word Gentiles in your translation. Mm. And Gentiles is kind of, it means nations. It means people groups. Um, and the Jews would just refer to Gentiles as people other than them. Um, but in Isaiah 11:10 it says, On that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples. The peoples. The nations will look to him for guidance, and his resting place will be glorious. Yeah, so I kind of nerded out on this one a little bit. Uh, peoples here are like kin. So these are really like mostly referring to most likely the Jews here. So a banner for the, for the Jewish nation, for all those that are related to Abraham, um, their kin. But then there's that word nations, where it says the nations will look to him for guidance. Uh, literally has with it the connotation of heathen, pagans. So this is like non-Jews. So you have two different groups here. You have peoples and you have a nation. Um, you mentioned the Greek word for Gentile. We get, that's the Greek word ethnos, ethnos yeah. right? So we get ethnic from that into, into English. And so, but, but in the, in the, <laughs> in the scriptures, it had a little bit more of a negative connotation. There were the Jews and there were the, the, the not Jews. So like the have and the have nots, it was the, the Jews and then the rest of the nation. So actually it's uh, something I, I learned about the word Gentiles um, comes from the same root as the word that we use for genetics. So it's the same idea of ethnos, ethnicity, genetics, Gentiles, genealogy, Genes, it's referring to literally groups of people of an ethnicity. So not even necessarily nations as, yeah. you know, governmental structures as such, but as just the different peoples of the world. People groups. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So then the Apostle Paul, as he continues in his teaching, the book of Romans, one of his greatest works, I think, um, hard to digest at times. Paul makes this connection in this way, Romans fifteen twelve. He says, and again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will appear. The one who rises to rule the Gentiles, and the Gentiles will hope in him. So, whoa, 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 whoa. Paul just like leapt light years ahead of where the Jews were and just went like, didn't you read it in Isaiah that this is a light for the nations, meaning the Gentiles as well, not just the Jews? Paul just throws it out there. He's just so blunt. I love it. It's like, yep, this is for everybody. The, the one that God anointed for his purpose will appear and the one who he will rule the nations and all people groups will hope in him. And this is the good news of the gospel. This is why Christmas is good news for us, folks. Can we just say that? Can we be a, it, without being included in the all nations, 
it's a promise for those born of Abraham. And I, I haven't done the 23 and me thing or whatever to find out where I go back to, but I don't think there's any um, Jewish blood in my family. Uh, there probably is somewhere because eventually I guess I can go back to, to you know, to, to Adam, but, but <laughs> so, so if this is for all, for all people. Um, this, this includes us as well. And I think that that's part of what makes the Christmas story such good news and why that angel's announcement was so significant. Um, so, so I want to skip ahead a little bit. Now we're going to get to the end of the book, book of revelation. All right. So flip over or tap over to revelation. Uh, some of you love the book of revelation. Some of you avoided it at all costs. How many of you love Revelation? I did, yeah, a couple. Of I years. think I saw two hands. Yeah, yeah. couldn't yeah. see all the anybody online. They're you know yeah. they they're probably more you know I'll, I'll raise my hand. Nobody <laughs> can see their hand. Um, How many of you avoid Revelation? Definitely. I mean, you find hands. find yourself <laughs> in the middle of that. Like, yeah, I don't avoid it, but it's not like the first book I go to. Yeah. Yeah. Some of you even teach the book of Revelation. Is that right? Yeah. Right. And um, you're in that middle group. <laughs> amazing. Amazing. Right. So, so what makes Revelation so significant? Um, it, it's really the book of the new Genesis. It's the recreation of mankind at the end of it. It's the reestablishment of what God set up in Eden. So it's the recreation of everything that we had undone and God restoring it back to the way that it was meant to be in the very beginning. It's a, it's a great book. Um, it really is. And, and it's very confusing at times. It it uses, it's, if you think Isaiah is loaded with imagery, Revelation just is off the charts with imagery and metaphor. And yeah, it's very difficult to understand sometimes. So it's it, understand, it really understandable if it's not your go-to book, but it is very cool. Um, the parts that we can't understand. At least. Fair enough. Yeah. Fair enough. Um, Revelation chapter 2, verse 7 says, Let anyone who has ears to hear... Listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will give the right to each from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. So you see right from the beginning of, of Revelation chapter 2, we're being drawn back to the garden and what we lost. And he's, he's saying we're going to restore things back to the way that they were supposed to be. And then the rest of the book of Revelation kind of takes us through what's going to happen what has happened and what's going to happen for that to take place. By the time we get to chapter five of Revelation, we're, we're back to the throne room of heaven where the divine council is in session. And uh, we had the beginning of the judgment of nations. And there's some really interesting passages there. Um, I guess I'll take this one and then I'll have you jump back to Isaiah. Okay. All right. Sure. So Revelation five, verse two. I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seal? No one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look at it. I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. One of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and it's seven seals. All right, so what catches you in that phrase? What's, what seems a little bit off on that one? Now it's the root of David. Just jump from the root of Jesse to the root of David. Interchangeable again. We're talking about the same thing. Um, so Jesus takes the scroll. And when he does, there's this heavenly song that just kind of rings out. So this is like Revelation the musical. 
going on here. Isn't a lamb too? A, isn't, isn't he a lamb that takes it? He's a lamb. After yes. After he's called a lion, it's actually a lamb. He's a lamb. He's like slaughtered. Yes. Yeah. Where he's the not, lamb that was not, slain. Not yes. the lion king ferocious image that no. you expect. No. No. All right, so, yeah. so we're back to Revelation the musical. Revelation chapter 5, verses 9 and 10. There's a lot of this breaking out in, in Revelation. And they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slaughtered and you purchased people for God by your blood from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you made them a kingdom and priests to our God and they will reign where? On earth. Interesting. They will reign on earth going right back to the garden again, where we were planted on earth to reign and to rule uh, with God. Um, so all the nations are welcome back to God because of Jesus, and those that accept Jesus belong to this kingdom to serve as priests, as God representatives, again, being made in the image of God, and to reign in the earth, which was the original command given in Eden to rule over the earth and to subdue it. So Revelation starts out with this idea that it's going to be restored back to the way that it used to be because of the root of David. The root of David is the one who's making this happen. Yeah, and that whole thing is like a flashback to that. The Eden ideal is a flashback to our passage in Isaiah 11, where in verse 6 it says, The wolf will dwell with the lamb, the leopard will lie down with the goat, the calf, the young lion, and the fattened calf will be together, and a child will lead them. The cow, and the, the cow and the bear will graze. Their young ones will lie down together. Such a cute image. A little baby cow, a little baby it's bear. It's a cute picture in the video, together. too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I like we watched it, David's like, aw, man. <laughs> uh, the lion eating straw like cattle. Uh, an infant will play beside the cobra's pit. And a toddler will put his hand into a snake's den. They will not harm or destroy each other on my entire holy mountain. Holy mountain, that's another reference to Eden. For the land will be as full of the knowledge of the Lord as the sea is filled with water. I got I to gotta pause for a second because one of the questions that got asked, and it was a great question, was where in the Bible does it say that Eden is on a hill or on a mountain? Because we talked about the high places representing Eden and everything else. Um, there isn't a direct verse that refers to Eden being on a mountain per se. But then you have references like this that are taking you back to the Eden ideal. You have Revelation that are taking you back to Eden. And in all of those places, it's on a high mountain. So I think that's where we, where we draw the conclusion that the reference or the inference that Eden was also one of those high places. Because that was, that was a question that was asked. So I kind of wanted to... Yeah, and, and you have the garden imagery and mountain imagery, really. And this is a whole other topic. But they are interchangeable when it comes to the language of, of God. Um, and his his council meeting and meeting with humans it always happens um, on a mountain and in a garden and if you do a study on it they're really interchangeable and even in the language of creation itself the way you would picture it and the way that it's worded is with, with God kind of bringing up land out of the water in such a way that it provides protection from, from everything waters. else so, yeah all right little side yeah. note there thought we'd bring that one up um, and then you have the sea being filled with water, and water is another one of those things where, you know, in the garden you have an abundance of water flowing from these rivers, and now it's like this abundance of the knowledge of the Lord is compared to an abundance of water. Um, so it's just packed with that, that imagery. And it, he's saying, though, that things will be restored through David's line, through the root of Jesse or the root of David, back to the way that God created things to be mm -hmm. in the beginning. 
let's jump back to Revelation. Um, yeah. uh, once we get to the towards the end of Revelation, we see that God is going to recreate the earth. Um, as a new Eden, a new place where heaven and earth, that there's a new heaven, new earth, and they come together. Uh, and that's how the Bible ends, with this restored vision of things where they began, all mm-hmm. through uh, and because of the root of Jesse. So we see a new heaven, new earth, and a new city. Um, and in the middle of this new city, this new Jerusalem, like the capital of God's kingdom, is a tree. And we see that in Revelation 22, um, verses 1 and 3, uh, 1 through 3. It says, Then he showed me the river of the water of life. <laughs> Again, we just merged a whole yeah. lot of stuff right <laughs> together right there. The river of the water of life, clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the city's main street. It's not a very practical street, is it? No. Anyway, the tree of life was on each side of the river bearing 12 kinds of fruit, producing its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree are for healing the nations, and there will no longer be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will worship him. Yeah, the, cool. the, yeah, it is really amazing. An amazing picture there um, of, of what's happening in this new creation. And it's really going back to taking us back to what we were barred from in Genesis chapter 3. Um, the things that we couldn't have, when, when, when mankind took from the tree of the knowledge of good and bad, they were kicked out of the garden so they couldn't have from the tree of life. And now in Revelation 22, there's a, a river of life and a tree of life, and everybody will be able to have access to it. There'll be fruit all year round from this tree so that all can have life. So we're being taken back to, be able, to the garden and being able to have what God intended in the first place. Um, and all of this is brought about because of the branch of Jesse. And you're like, wait, what are you talking about? Let's continue in Revelation 22, a little further, verse 16. Um, verse 16, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. Now, there's only five verses in your Bible after that. This was like the last summary statement of Jesus and the completion of the story of God redeeming mankind through the Messiah. And his last words are, I am the root and the branch of David. How significant is that? So we start in a garden, we end with a garden, and all the way through, we have imageries of trees and roots and plants and stumps, and all of it is meant to remind us of what God planted us in this world in the first place for and how he's going to restore us back to that someday um, and the work of the Messiah that made it happen. So there's a lot to unpack there. We've read a lot yeah. of verses and covered a lot. Yeah, so how do we kind of, how do we kind of summarize that, bit? right? <laughs> so God is going to grow a new Eden for a new humanity, uh, which is itself a new Jerusalem and a new temple. And that is the new seed that God promised David that he would plant. Uh, So this is the seed that will accomplish God's plan um, as the suffering servant um, who, you know, like similar to Moses, um, when he offered his life in, in exchange for the people, he will offer his life for the people. And Isaiah brings these themes all together um, in pretty amazing ways. I think it all comes together, all, all those different 
idea is in chapter 11. And then we see how the gospel authors kind of later tap into all this imagery in the way that they describe Jesus um, as the seed who will be the new David, the new Adam, the new human who will bring out about a new people through sacrificing his own life on their behalf. And that sacrifice that Jesus made of, of his own body was not the, the show of kingly force uh, against Rome at that time. Israel was hoping for a king to wipe out Rome. And yet that was exactly what Israel and what the rest of the world needed. It was kind of, I would call it the biggest plot twist in all of human history uh, is how Christ's execution really was his inauguration as king. Mm. And so now we have Jesus as a new human, a new king sitting on the throne over all of creation and inviting all who would follow him to become new humans and to enter his kingdom. So he's our our king, he's our high priest, and we as the church are his people, his servants, um, and also his temple. So today now in this day and age, um, I... I would pray that his gift to us, the Holy Spirit, uh, would nourish us and permeate the branches and the leaves of our lives so that we can all bear fruits uh, individually and as families and as a church family. We should be bearing fruit that is worthy of the master gardener, Jesus. And we can all look with hope and with anticipation uh, to the future day where we can all enjoy that perfect peace and abundance and health and safety um, because life on this earth is not perfect now, but we have <laughs> the hope of the future of living in, in the garden of God's kingdom. And the reason we can celebrate this whole season of Christmas and what we should be celebrating in all of it is that from the very beginning, even though we messed up, God's been wanting to redeeming, redeem us and been planning to redeem us and been planning to fix things that we've broken. And when Jesus showed up on this earth, it was what had been waited for for thousands of years. It was the beginning of the last days, in a sense, where God brought his man into this world to begin his work of redeeming mankind in a way that we could not do on our own. And so that's part of that message of hope for Christmas. I mean, we talk about the baby in the manger and that's exactly what it is. It's God becoming flesh, but this is part of this big picture. This is Genesis to Revelation and that time slot changed everything for, for humankind who waited for thousands of years for a hope and didn't have it. And, and now we have it. And it's something we should celebrate and be grateful for and thankful for that God kept his promise. Yeah. Absolutely. And continues to do so. So, uh, David, would you want to close us out in prayer? Absolutely. Heavenly Father, we we just we sit in awe of you this morning. Yeah. We are so grateful for the gifts of of your Son Jesus. It it is mind-boggling at times, and. Um, it, it's, it's just amazing to contemplate and meditate on um, how amazing your purposes are and how uh, often we are so, so narrow in our, our vision of 
of who you are and, and your plans for the world. And yet we have this incredible gift of hindsight for the last mm. several thousand years um, to see a glimpse of who you are and, and how you have chosen to interact with uh, a rebellious and treacherous people and how you would still love us and sacrifice the, the greatest gift of all for us. Uh, Lord, I just pray that you would give us an appreciation of that this week as we celebrate um, the birth of the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed chosen one. And I pray that you would help us understand what it means to you that you chose to do this in such a humble way, not this, um, not a, not a king on a horse destroying Rome, but as a, a baby in a, in a manger and, and, appearing to, to shepherds, uh, Lord, there's a significance to all that. And Lord, I pray that we would appreciate that um, as we celebrate who you are. Uh, and Lord, I pray that as we who have chosen to follow uh, you, uh, the incredible new human, um, the person and, and life and work of Jesus of Nazareth, Lord, I pray that we would take to heart all that we know about who you are uh, and that we would, by the power of your spirit, because we can do it no other way, that we would be nourished, um, not by food alone, but by every word that proceeds from your mouth and that by being so nourished, we would be fruit-bearing plants uh, that bring glory to your name and honor to your kingdom, and love, and peace, and hope, and restoration to broken people, and families, and countries, and relationships, because that's the, the incredible healing power that you have. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I want to definitely wish you all a very Merry Christmas, and uh We'll catch up with you, Lord willing, next week. Next week will be a, I hate to even say this, but I think it's going to be a little bit more traditional Christmas message. I don't, I'm not sure. We'll see. We'll see. <laughs> and, uh, and, and that'll be the, the end of our uh, Christmas season celebration together. But uh, we want to wish you a Merry Christmas and uh, look forward to catching up with you uh, after that. We, we do have more messages in Isaiah. I don't think any of them are as heavy as the ones we've just covered, but I, I even should hes hesitate to say that because you just never know. <laughs> But uh, we look forward to spending more time with you in the days to come. And thanks for being here. <laughs>